I think that I'm going to wear the polka dotted dress with some black tights, and I think I'm going to do my hair in two braids and then coil it on top of my head. That sounds great. And that's our little ritual. Greetings, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, the podcast all about banjos and the people who love them. I'm your host, Keith Billick. Thanks for joining me. And hold on to your Stetson open road hats, everybody. Joe Newberry is in the house. And by house, I mean a small cottage. This interview was actually recorded at the uh, Great Lakes Music Camp on the site of Camp Blodgett along Lake Michigan. A beautiful site for a great camp and a nice cozy cottage atmosphere to do a banjo podcast interview. But before I get to the actual interview, you regular listeners know that I always have to give a special thanks to the folks that make this show possible. And I'm talking, of course, about my VIP, very important picker, Patreon supporters. And today we have two Patreon supporters of the episode. The first one is Matthew Atkinson. And Matthew is good at chiming in, sending me messages about good guest suggestions. And he even mentioned that he'd like to hear more Clawhammer episodes. Well, I didn't plan it this way. I thank my patrons in order. And it just so happens, Matthew, that you're going to have a great Clawhammer episode in store for you right now. So, Thank you so much for your support of the show. The other extra special supporter of this show is Carol Rahack from Wisconsin. And she started playing banjo back in the 70s, but gave it a long, long break until about seven or eight years ago when she picked it back up. Well, welcome back to the banjo world, Carol. And as coincidence would have it, Carol was a student back at the Great Lakes Music Camp where I was teaching. And she wants to give a shout out to her fellow chicks with picks banjo campers that's laura and barb so carol laura barb and of course matthew atkinson thank you for your support of the show and i don't even think i dropped the link how you support the show is you go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast you get to keep the lights on here at picky fingers hq and you receive amazing rewards in return you can go read all about that once again patreon.com slash banjo podcast the other ways to support the show, don't forget to check out the Picky Fingers merch at banjopodcast.com. You can pick up your world-famous Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast t-shirts and stickers. And of course, that all goes to support the show when you do that. So you can look good, play good, and uh, feel good for contributing to the, uh, you know, the global banjo cause. And of course, you can always like, rate, review, share, subscribe, all the social media things that helps the algorithm. Uh, that is something that is very helpful and very easy to do. So if you're seeing episodes or posts come up, feel free to share those or like them or subscribe or whatever you got to do. Um, it's all super helpful and totally appreciate it. You can also email me at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com with your suggestions questions, comments, and concerns. One more quick note for those of you hearing this early enough, I will also be hosting an after-hours video meetup for Banjo Summit this weekend. That's February 11th and 12th, 2023. Uh, you can go to banjosummit.org, read about the all-star faculty, which includes B.B. Bownus, Wes Corbett, Matt Flinner, Adam Larrabee, Greg List, Jamie Stone, Jens Kruger, Jake Blunt, a whole bunch of your favorites and mine. And like I said, I'm hosting the After Hours Video Meetup. So if you sign up at banjosummit.org, make sure to use coupon code PICKYFINGERS to get 10% off your enrollment. And come hang out with me Saturday night, take some cool classes, and I hope to see you all there.
Today's featured guest is Joe Newberry. Joe is a world-renowned singer-songwriter, banjoist, and guitarist. He has won multiple IBMA awards for his songwriting and was a frequent guest on Prairie Home Companion. I have had the pleasure of seeing Joe around at plenty of camps, whether it's Midwest Banjo Camp, Great Lakes Music Camp, or, or various other places. And he is not just a captivating performer, but he is a captivating speaker. He is one of these guys with a quiet confidence and wisdom about him that just gives you the vibe of when Joe Newberry is speaking, you should probably be listening because he's got a lot of great advice, great stories, and thought-provoking wisdom, uh, a lot of which he will share for you here. So give a warm picky fingers welcome to Joe Newberry. Well, Joe, it's a it's a pleasure to see you. As always, I've been seeing you around at these camps, so I'm I'm thankful we finally have a chance to to chat, and uh, especially for this great setting and group of people that we find ourselves here with. I have been looking forward to our conversation and the hang, and what a beautiful location. Yeah. Um, we're we're at the Great Lakes Music Camp, and uh, just so grateful that Jason Wheeler and uh, his crew have invited me to come and teach songwriting here, but also playing the banjo. Yeah. As I keep saying, I'm just happy to be included. <laughs> however, however that ended up happening, because uh, it's one of my favorite weekends of the year. I feel like Minnie Pearl. I'm just proud to be here. <laughs> exactly. Me too. So, so let's, uh, let's get everyone started. Introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and how you became a banjo player. I'm Joe Newberry. I grew up in a singing family in Southern Missouri. Banjo came to me when I was in my late teens. Banjo in Missouri uh, was not as much of a side instrument as other instruments. Um, uh, I remember asking Art Galbraith, the uh, older fiddler down in the James River country, I said, Mr. Galbraith, what kind of banjo playing do you like? And he looked at me and he said, quiet. <laughs> is, uh, that, is that a thing? Quiet um, banjo playing? <laughs> I think Mr. Galbraith meant none at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but I, when I was a young man, I moved to North Carolina. I actually, I didn't move as much as I just drove out to visit a friend of mine and my car broke down. And you never made it back? I wish I had a more inspiring tale of my life. But yes, that's it. My car broke down. and That's a pretty romantic kind of story. <laughs> there's a just a bunch more old-time banjo playing in North Carolina and Southwest Virginia. And, yeah. and, you know, when you're in your early 20s, you can turn your life in a dime, and I did. And so I've been there ever since. You described your family as a singing family. I take that to mean that they weren't also playing instruments, that that wasn't a part of it? or uh, My grandfather, Newberry, could play anything by ear. Um, wow. Uh, my mother's people were more uh, singers and dancers. Um, my dad's family mostly sang the old Ozark songs, but they'd also sing play party songs. They'd sing songs on the hit parade. They'd sing silly church songs. They yeah. we just sang. And um, and you were uh, included in all that too? Oh, oh yes. Okay. As, uh, from, from the time I was five, I remember singing with, with my family. And yeah. uh, I remember going on my first car trip with another family, my, my friends, the malls, oh. my, my best friend, Billy mall. And I'm riding in the back of the car and I, and I, I'm thinking, well, when do we start singing? Why aren't they singing? <laughs> Why aren't they singing? Because, um, we always sing, uh, you know, holidays. I, I've, I've tried to do that with, with, uh, my family. Huh. Uh, we, we sing, we sing, uh, sometimes, uh, we'll get through all the verses of something. Sometimes just a single verse, mm -hmm. um, uh, when, when my father had had enough eggnog, he would sing um, uh, in in English and in Latin. Huh. Adeste. Uh, Interesting. Fidelis. Yeah. But but only when he had the... Just uh, the proper amount the of... The liquid memory. Egg, eggnog, to, the yeah. liquid memory, yeah, okay. that's right. So it wasn't until after you landed yourself inadvertently in North Carolina that you... Were you attracted to the banjo before that? Oh, or I, like... I, and I played the banjo in Missouri. Okay. I... I, I, I when I was in college, I lived at a coffee house. Now, I know a lot of people will say, oh, man, I just lived at that coffee house. 
I lived at a coffee house. <laughs> I was one of the I was one of seven student managers uh-huh. at the Shea Coffee House in Columbia, Missouri. Yeah. And uh, out of the seven of us, six of us were old time musicians. Wow. And so I uh, I started playing banjo there. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember having real trouble with the claw hammer motion. Hmm. The uh, I couldn't get it. The bum ditty. It always, uh, whenever I teach banjo, it. I remember not being able to do it. And so when I teach banjo, there is no. The, I don't use the phrase or the word "just." Oh, just do this, mm-hmm. because I remember. And I would also uh, the first guy that I learned from. I would. I would try. I would try my best, and it would be like. And I'd go up and I'd say, "Is that it?" And he would say, no, 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 no. And it's like, oh. so it, when I started teaching, I remembered hearing yeah. that response. And you know how you vow things or you say, oh, I'll never do that. Mm-hmm. I, I will never do. Oh, no, 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 no. Because yeah. um, the music's all in here and you just have to let it out. I think it definitely gives you a different perspective when you've picked up something as an adult where it's in exactly what you said it's in your memory having the challenge of learning something where if you were a kid you've just always done it and i i can't um, agree i can't agree more it's uh, children are fearless on on instruments and so when i teach adults i try and make them comfortable with accessing the seven-year-old part of themselves Mm -hmm. because a a seven-year-old is afraid of nothing they'll An adult, you'll show them something. Try this. And they'll try that, and then they'll sit here like this. Hands on, okay, what's next? Right. Uh, and if I can get somebody, a uh, student, to, to access that, that adventuresome part of themselves, mm-hmm. then we're, we're on the way. Adults, adult learners want to be good at something right away. I've been working on this for four minutes. Yeah, we're running out of time Come here. Come on. <laughs> um, I was teaching um, in a classroom setting in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it was uh, a, a wide range of, of kids, and uh, there were about seven, maybe seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I showed them all of the instruments I brought. I brought the fiddle. I brought the mouth. I brought the guitar. And I, and I said afterward, you know, after I was done with my presentation, I said, you can... Try any of these instruments. You have to, you have to pick them up like you were holding your baby brother, or your baby sister. Yeah. And there was this, there was this one little African American boy. And I said, "Well, son, what do you, what do you want to try?" And he said, "I just got to get my hands on that banjo." Yeah, I love it. And so I gave him my banjo, and I, and he sat down. And the banjo was big, but sure. I said, "Now, do you remember the the motion that the bum diddy bum diddy?" And he he said like this. And I thought, oh, well, do I, is it like a hillbilly potlatch? Do I give him the banjo now? Because right. it was like, yeah. he, he obviously deserved it. I've, I've often wondered if he kept music in his life or if he has music in his life. I hope so. He's probably, he's probably in his late 20s now. This was oh, a long oh, time ago. Yeah, I hope so yeah. too. So how did your progression go? You said you lived with all these old time musicians at this coffee house. Were you approximately the same level in your progress like were you learning together or was it just kind of a ragtag bunch i I started playing guitar when i was 14 Uh to accompany my family songs yeah but when i was 15 i was at the boone county fair in columbia missouri Mm -hmm. and i'm walking across the fairgrounds and i have a picture made that day the day my life changed I, i there's a picture of me riding on a ride and i've got my arms outstretched (laughs) <laughs> you know, and and so I I got off that ride and I walked across the fairgrounds and I heard fiddle music and imagine a swivel. I swiveled and I walked to the tent where the Boone County Fiddle Contest was taking place and I walked through the door and into my future. And what, what was it that you were hearing? I heard um, some of the greatest fiddlers in central Missouri, which means some of the greatest fiddlers in the world, Mm -hmm. 
competing against each other. Yeah. And we called them the five, or not we, everybody called these fiddlers the five. There were five places in a fiddle contest, and they would sometimes... The finalists. They were finalists, the, yeah. always the finalists. There was Taylor McBain and Pete McMahon and Jake Hockmeyer and huh. Gene Wells. Okay. And George Morris, uh, uh, no, George Morris's son. Anyway, the five were there. Yeah. I started going to sessions, and I started playing. Uh-huh. Uh, guitar and so uh, as I got older uh, folks started choosing choosing me to to back them up on guitar the the great uh, mid-missouri fiddler Pete McMahon his wife came up to me at a fiddle contest and he's sort of lurking in the back but she was the emissary and she she walked up and she said he likes your playing. <laughs> That's as good of a compliment as you're going to get from him, probably. So he, she said, his... "She said, come, come by the house." Yeah. So I went to the house and went to the back door, as you do uh, in in Missouri. And so uh, she she opened the door and she said, um, "He's in there." And she motioned to the living room, and I walked into the living room, and he's sitting on the couch already, and there's uh-huh. a chair in front of him, and he doesn't say anything, and he just takes his bow and he points to the chair. <laughs> So I got my guitar out and I'm, I'm playing. He he launches into a tune. It, right. it could have been Marmaduke's Hornpipe. It could have been, but it was a. I know. I remember it was a D tune. Okay, it might have been Liberty. You know. Anyway, he gets done. He starts another tune, and we play four or five tunes. And the only thing he said the whole visit was, "I see you like a dirty ball cap. I like a clean ball cap." And that was it. And then he started playing again. And so after about four or five more tunes, he got up and walked out of the room. And Miss McMahon came, she came in and she said, oh, honey, he had a good time. He had a good time. So I, I got invited back, but I stopped at the MFA store and I bought a new ball cap. Oh, he literally meant ball cap. I, I thought I this had, was like a metaphor. No, I'm, I was, well, I'm, I'm wrinkling life, my... Life is full of metaphors, yeah. but um, in this case, I had the grossest... You know, we all took pride in our dirty ball caps. Yeah. Sweat stained and dirt dirt all over. And so <laughs> he's, I see you like a dirty ball cap. I like a clean ball cap. Yeah. And so I did. I stopped at the MFA store. Uh-huh. And I knocked on the back door, and he answered the door this time. And I had left the tag on, dangling. So he knew that. So it he was knew it was a freshy, clean new yeah. ball cap. And he he looked at me and he grinned and he said, "Get in here." And we were fast friends after that. <laughs> so while you're kind of blowing my mind because I'm wondering if this whole episode is like foreshadowing to your excellent hat choices <laughs> in life, and and like d- did that maybe impact your I don't know. Your, I will tell you that on... I, I brought a number of clean ball caps on this trip. Uh, I, 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 and I, I cannot abide a dirty ball cap now. Um, and I, <laughs> I won't I, show you mine then. <laughs> uh, I, no, it's just for me. Uh, you, you be you. Okay. <laughs> Cause you're the only you that's you. And, and I, I celebrate and that. The world but, is better for it. Uh, I, I tell people all the time, there's only one of me and I ain't we glad. Yeah. Um, but uh, my, my grandfather and my dad, uh, they they wore uh, Stetsons, open road Stetsons, mm-hmm. and so I I wear them, and then I they're just a they're a really nice looking hat. I keep them nice. I don't grab them by the crown. Hat wearers do not grab your hat by the crown at the top. Your fingers will get them dirty. Grab them from the side. Huh. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, we're going to talk more about that that later. But yeah, yeah, I can nerd out on hats for a long time. It may be a separate podcast for that. Well, there's, I mean, is there a hat podcast? There must be. If I'm not, sure there is. Good, good yeah. idea for folks. So you took us on a sidebar about your guitar playing. Going yes. back to your, your banjo style, what kind of influences did you have back then? And how did you develop the way you play that, that we get to hear now? Some of my first influences were people my age that lived uh, in and around Columbia, Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, are... are dear and uh, sadly departed Kathy Barton.
went to high school with Kathy. Really? And, I never knew that. Uh, and I lived with her husband, Dave, at the coffee house. So I, wow. I've known Kathy most of my life. I've known Dave since I was 19. I stood up in their wedding. We've been friends wow. for 45 years. Yeah, she's a wonderful player. Years. Sadly, sadly missed. Yeah. Um, uh, Joel Zimmer uh, uh, was another guy uh, who lived around there. Uh, Jim Ruth. Uh, uh, those were people about my age, maybe a little older. Then down in Arkansas, Book Miller Shannon was a great banjo player who lived near Mountain View, Arkansas. My friend Jim Lansford uh, lived in Arkansas and Missouri. Now, I, I'm, as you, as you know, I'm more of a three-finger banjoist, so I'm much less versed in uh, definitely like regional styles. So was there an aspect of that Ozark style that you think you've... Uh, I have to imagine you've you've uh, integrated that. And... I absorb some of it, but I'll tell you, Ozark o o Ozark fiddling is is a little different than Central Missouri fiddling, and I tend to react to the fiddler. Hmm. So Ozark fiddling is a, a, a lot more saw strokes to me. Down at, it, Bob Holt down in Ava, Missouri. Okay. Um, uh, so you're. Uh, uh, there's more of a gallop to the banjo. Uh, when I moved to North Carolina, that slippy, slidey style that Fred Cockrum and and uh, and Kyle Creed would play okay. was an influence. But I I started out trying to put as many notes in a banjo tune as I could, and then I spent the you know the first twenty years I played, I tried to do that, and the rest of the time I've tried to take notes out. I would love to trick you into letting us hear some of these things that you're talking about. You, sure. you described that you were imitating more of the fiddle style at first and less of the slippy, slidey uh, North Carolina yeah. Kyle Creed style. What do those sound like? And in what ways did you react to the fiddlers more so than, say, take influences from other banjo players? The uh, I'm I'm tuned in a double D, but with the fifth string down. I've I've been uh, I've been playing a lot. Uh, Cousin Emmy, and she was she was uh, from Kentucky, but she was more of a gallop banjo player. She was not a real noty banjo player. She okay. was the she was the person that told Lewis Marshall Jones before he was grandpa. Oh, Lewis, I think you ought to try the banjo because I think that it would add to your show. And she showed Grandpa his first banjo. Oh, that's great music! But I mean, that's um, just a universal truth. If you yes, add it, banjo, will add to, it will add, add to your, to your show. show. But um, if um, putting putting the banjo in in the context of the gallop or the, just the straight claw hammer, yeah. there's a lot of music that. Now, and that's what you describe as more, the gallop more of style. a gallop, uh, more uh, more based out of the claw hammer motion. Yeah, sure. Uh, adding a little more notey. Sure. Good old Arkansas traveler, best tune ever written. But um, I love sounding like me, and that's what I think everybody. Uh, should work toward is just sounding, sounding like me. I've got a lot of influences from lots of places. Um, I do finger pick. Um, yeah. uh, it's, I, I know just enough three finger to get me thrown out of a good bluegrass session. <laughs> um, I will say that I do like, I like playing with bluegrass folks. I think that in the last 15 years or so, there's been a real movement uh, and a bridge where bluegrass players and old time players are starting to appreciate the other's style a lot more. I remember, yeah. I remember in the old days, it was, you know, people would think, oh, he plays old time because he's not good enough to play bluegrass. Huh. I have two words to answer that. Adam Hurt.
one of my favorites. Yeah, I'll put Adam up against any player in the world. Um, Agree. <laughs> I was I was at Mount Airy Fiddlers Convention uh, one time. I was up on on the hill playing old time in an old time session. Yeah. And we'd, it was, the session was in A. So I was tuned in A and I was walking down back to my campground and there was a huge like freight train bluegrass session going on and they were in A. So I thought, hmm, why not? Yeah. So I pull out my banjo and I'm, I'm picking along and this guy came over to me and he had a, um, like a Winston 100 hanging out of his mouth. Okay. And he says, take one claw. Uh, a, so, a solo? Yeah. So, yeah. so Claw took one. <laughs> claw. And Claw. So I <laughs> I did all right. All right. And you know. and no one booted you out of there? No. Cool. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned a minute ago that you just wanted to focus on playing like you. So what does that, what does that mean to you? What are the aspects of your playing style that you feel like you focused on? I like drone, uh, low drones. I like... Um, I like doing pull-offs. Yeah, you let's know. let's hear all of this if you don't if you don't mind. I would love I would love to hear it. There's one I've been working on a little bit with uh, with uh, Mr. Compton um, uh, called "Farewell Princeton," and it's from Clyde Davenport. The first part sounds like water to me. Hmm. It just ripples, and and I work a lot um, off of the open strings, the second noting the second fret and the fifth string. Yeah, I just felt myself uh, go a little slack jawed. That which is one of the things about playing banjo. It's like it. it well, that's it why you keep trans- the beard, right? That's exactly right. So, so that's exactly right. Yes, sir. Hey, folks, just need to take a quick break to tell you all about my good friends up in Lansing, Michigan at Elderly Instruments. Now, you might be thinking that with Elderly's amazing selection and their fast worldwide shipping, that they are some big box conglomerate store. But no, Elderly has been family owned since 1972, and they pride themselves on giving you the customer service and personal touch that only a mom and pop store can give you. So the next time you need anything for your banjo, guitar, violin, mandolin, any stringed instruments, accessories, instructional materials, and I'm talking about whether you're looking for a beginner instrument or even a high-end, vintage, hard-to-find item, Elderly's going to have you covered. It's my first place that I go. So check them out at elderly.com, and don't forget to let them know that the Piggy Fingers Banjo Podcast sent you. This podcast is also brought to you by Peghead Nation, a site that brings you streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele. You can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other roots music styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in the world. Now, some of what Peghead Nation offers is a great lineup, of course, of banjo instruction. Check out these courses. Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward-style Banjo with Bruce Molsky, The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, and Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo with Wes Corbett. Now, regardless of what course you choose, you're going to get high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes to play. Now, perhaps the best part of all this is that just by being a Picky Fingers podcast listener, you are going to get your first month free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. That's PICKYFINGERS, all lowercase, all one word, over at pegheadnation.com. I definitely notice uh, with both your banjo and your guitar playing, you have a very assertive style and i don't know i'd love to hear where you think that comes from or what brought about that quality or do you even agree uh i I, 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 thank you for saying assertive rather than aggressive 
Well, right, right. <laughs> because, you know... Um, it's, it's not it, malicious. No, it, <laughs> but, but banjo and uh, banjo can be... It, it can... Uh, it, it, <laughs> I tell people I've brought my banjo. I know that sounds more like a threat. Yeah. Um, but I, I, like the, I like the notion of doing something... Playing, playing banjo that's not always... It can be assertive, but not aggressive. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very, I'm very, uh, I lead the beat. The fiddlers I like lead the beat. Um, and by that, I mean, if you think of the beat like a chair, you can sit square up in the, in the chair yeah. and play square on the beat. If you sit, if you move to the edge of the chair, it's not rushing. It's not rushing, but it's it's placing your emphasis a little bit ahead, yeah. uh, just leading the beat a little bit. Yeah. It, uh, when when I'm teaching banjo classes, and I I tell folks. You know, you come on a, upon a session at a festival in the dark, and mm-hmm. it's really exciting. And you hear there's almost like a little buzz. A lot of that is where everyone is leading the, everyone's sitting on that front edge of the beat. It's just, it's it's exciting to me. It's a ride, yeah. It is a ride. You just got to hold on. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, when, when you've said that maybe you've been more accepted within some bluegrass units or... When even when you talk about, uh, and I'm forgetting the guy's name who was impressed with your guitar playing, I think that's likely the quality that got you those compliments. Well, in, hi, in the Chris. First thank place. you. Yeah, thank you. You bet. But uh, I, I like um, I like uh, using the banjo as an accent uh, for singing as well. And so, um, right. cousin Emmy, uh, she she played this uh, in a different tuning. I I I have been experimenting with. Um, It's just pretty. Yeah. If you miss the train I'm on, count the days that I've been gone. You can hear the whistle blow hundred miles graveyard graveyard you can bury me in some lonesome graveyard here we go when I die don't bury me at home I said when I die Don't bury me at home You can pickle my old bones in alcohol Graveyard, graveyard You can bury me some lonesome graveyard If I die A railroad man You can bury me In the sand So I can hear nine as she goes by graveyard graveyard you can bury me in some lonesome graveyard
Oh, aren't you kind? Aren't you kind? Well, that's beautiful. I can see why you're drawn to that. And I see what you mean about exactly what you said, using the banjo to accent the, the vocal on that. Well, maybe that's an interesting segue. I know this is a banjo podcast, but it would be a shame to not ask you a bit about your songwriting, mm -hmm. which, which is, of course, a, an important thing to you. You're, you do it at the highest level, oh, award-winning award level. So I'm not a songwriter myself, so I'm not sure I have deep, intelligent questions to ask, but you are here teaching classes <laughs> about songwriting. So I imagine you have some sort of way of describing what you do, your approach, and maybe even just advice for people who would love to improve their own songwriting. When I write songs, I, I listen f for phrases that other people say. When I teach these courses, I'll give people silent lunch. And they don't have to be mute, but I want them to listen because um, they'll, they'll hear a phrase, they'll hear, hear a hook. Because people, people say cool things all the time. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I shared that a friend of mine brought his wife some flowers home mm. one night, and it he wasn't in trouble. It, uh, it wasn't her birthday. He just saw some pretty flowers, and he brought her flowers. Uh -huh. And the next morning, she said, "Oh, you made my day last night. <laughs> what a yeah. What a great great turn what of a great phrase, turn yeah. of phrase." Yeah, um, I love that. I just, uh, you know, I, I heard Doc Watson, um, he, he said, uh, he was talking about getting older, as all musicians do, and he, he said, well, I'm too old to drive the train, but I still love to hear the whistle blow. Yeah. Uh, you know, why Why wouldn't you want to write that down? Yeah. So I did. Yeah. There's just <laughs> something about it that's poignant even if you can't and quite put your finger on and why it's it real. connects yeah it, it's it's real and that uh, i'll do exercises where i will have songwriting uh, students write for about 10 minutes without really lifting the pen from the paper mm -hmm. and get uh it bypasses the governor i don't want them to backspace i don't want them to think oh i shouldn't write that that doesn't sound good mm -hmm. And is there and a prompt involved in this? or what's, I, what's usu the... I usually will ask people to write about the day or their time getting to the camp. Okay. You know, and it oh, it's always astounds me how hard people work to get out of town and come to something like a camp. Mm -hmm. So uh, their, their days are filled with getting all the, you know, getting the animals fed, making sure the kids are at the grandparents' house, making sure that uh, that they've brought enough warm clothes yeah. for the wind off the let you know it's the task list so yeah. so there and what happens is when people write that and they they don't backspace and they don't stop to think oh that doesn't sound very good you know people lie to themselves even in their diaries mm -hmm. i want to bypass that and when it when it happens then truth comes out and when truth comes out, that's a great place to start a song. So you have um, a, a, a phrase like "You made my day last night." Where do you go from there? You have do you have like a a notepad where you have this repository of those those <laughs> phrases? I and, have and I have notepad upon notepad. I have sound files. Uh, used to be when I was on the road, uh, you know, you don't want to write stuff down while you're driving, so I would call the answering machine. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I'd get home from a, 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 you know, a tour and there'd be like 20 messages if I'd been writing a lot. Yeah. And, and so, I don't know, just to like, I would love to even go, go further, just take us through the next steps. Like uh, once you have that phrase, mm -hmm. what, how do you, it, it's still not a song at that point. So, so how do you sculpt that into whatever the final um, result might be? Often what I'll do I'll just noodle something I'm looking outside right now and I'm seeing the wind in the trees. 
I can comment on that. Mm -hmm. The wind in the trees blows your love to me. I sit alone and I feel your breeze. They're just words, but um, it's, it's, it, sometimes um, a phrase will, will come to you. Hmm. Sometimes you can, you can write a song because you, you need to write a song. Uh, I used to do theater a lot. And um, writing songs in plays is usually to advance the narrative where if you would have page after page after page of dialogue, or you can write a song and you can advance the narrative very yeah. quickly. So um, let's you and I write a little something. Oh, no. Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all songwriters. So... Um, um, my buddy Jim Watson would say, now there's two types of songs. There's songs about being home and songs about being away from home. When you're away from home, you want to be home. And when you're home, you want to be away from home. Right. So are we home or away from home? Well, in a literal way, we're away from home. But in a metaphorical way, we might be home. So are we home or away? We're, away we're from home. home. We're home. I look for little nuggets. And they could be either musical nuggets, something that really sticks with you, or it could be a word. And so the word home, 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 I miss my home, never more to roam, oh, I'm going home. So building on that. I left my home when I was young to see the things to see. I went far and I went wide, but I kept your love with me. I'm going home, I'm going home. where I'll stay I just have the days left me then I'll go away yeah fascinating can everyone else do that it's not just me like that's awesome it's uh, working this weekend with with the songwriting folks that, that I've been working with yeah. Um, I gave them the exercise of a, it's a song that I wrote, a farewell song to my students whom I, I you know, I fall in love with them uh -huh. and I will miss them when I'm not with them. Uh -huh. So I gave them the exercise of um, uh, farewell, dear friends. I bid you peace. The time has come for us to part. Mm -hmm. Your loving ways give my soul ease and I will keep you in my heart. And so they're writing their own goodbye verse and we'll do it at the student concert oh i can't wait for it um i have i've been doing this for uh seven or eight years and so i've got probably over a hundred of these verses that i've collected and at some point i'm gonna do maybe i ought to do a songwriting podcast about all of the verses it's it's pretty it's pretty astounding what people come up with yeah so but when you get in that when you get in that groove where you've got the template you've got that template you can write to it so once you figure that out they're just words and if you don't have the right word you can figure out a new word hmm. you know I, I told folks this morning paul mccartney's song yesterday he knew he wanted to have that da 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 that that rhythm yeah but he didn't know what it was going to be and so as a placeholder he sang scrambled egg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, to be completely off topic, that Beatles show that came out last year. He, oh, my seeing Lord. Seeing the progress of the lyrics. Watching him pull that song out of nothing yeah, was what is it? Is astounding. It, get back the, it was Get Back. Uh, yeah. 
and and yeah, you see it morph before your eyes, and and how different the song could have been at any point. Yeah, and watching his, I mean, they were they were tied as brothers. They fought a lot, but they were tied as brothers. And the thing that came out of that show for me was how much they loved each other. Mm-hmm. And Paul is there, and he's he's just he's riffing. He's just he's riffing on a bass for God's sake. Yeah. And and George and Ringo are there. Lennon's not there yet. George and Ringo are there kind of smoking and drinking tea. And at some point, something Paul McCartney does, both of them sit up. It's like they were drawn up like a, like a puppet on a marionette. They yeah. sat straight up and they went like, oh. And then they engaged. And it, and that yeah, was, before then, they were kind of they were just, just, just like, oh, idly God. sitting by. Sitting right? and, and, oh, well, Paul's doing one of his Paul things. And then he did a real Paul thing, and they went like, okay, we should pay attention to this. Yeah. And that's something, about, um, that's something about not only writing songs, but, but playing, playing music, playing I- instruments, is that when you have inspiration, you don't ignore it. Yeah. Don't ignore it. Let's shift gears a bit and talk about your musical collaborations. You've done a lot of them, and like two of your main uh, acts that you perform with are, are duos. There's April Virch and Mike Compton, but you've done plenty of others through your career. I'm wondering, Compton and, and Virch seem like pretty different types of partners, but I'm wondering, is there a common thread that you look for in people that you collaborate with that maybe isn't apparent just based on these two seemingly very different types of musicians. I look for heart. Both of them have tremendous heart in their playing. Both of them are masters of their genre. Um, I, I learn, I learn something from both of them every time I go on stage. Hmm. I've, I've played in lots of bands and I, and I love my, I love my old bands. Yeah. But I love the duo form because there's no place to hide. No. And you have to have, you have to have, complete trust and that's that's the thing that i have with both of the the duos i trust them both implicitly compton and newberry mike and i started playing because i I used to run the augusta heritage old time week Mm -hmm. and i had been looking for someone to come teach old time mandolin i I, mike came he was gonna uh, teach that in 2009 in the summer Mm -hmm. So we'd been talking on the phone, and I, of course, knew who he was. My goodness, he's yeah. Mike Compton uh, from the Nashville Bluegrass Band, for right. pity's sake. And I had a friend cancel on doing a show in Charlotte, and so I, I called Mike, and I said, would you want to come do a, a show with me in Charlotte? And there was not even a pause. He said, yes, sir. <laughs> and so we... Uh, we met in Charlotte. We got together uh, about an hour before the show and put together two sets of music. You know, oh, I play this. Oh, I can play this. Oh, we'll, you know, I can sing on that. Yeah, the typical scrapping together a set list. Yeah. And when we started playing in front of people, I saw the audience. I mean, we see everything. Sure. You know, we see We see how the audience reacts. And people were looking around and and each other as if to say, well, I thought these guys didn't play together. <laughs> because the blend that you hear us now yeah. with, it, it was the blend that we had. It's peaches in the summertime and apples in the fall. If I don't get the one I love, I won't have none at all. I'm going to Rocky Island and go, honey, ho. See my candy darling, you know I love her so Well I went to see my gal last night the dress she wore was red Uh and and so we both said, Well we should do this again. We've been doing doing that since two thousand nine. Yeah. Now with April Virch she and I had a mutual friend who kept saying to me, you should play some with Virch. Hmm. And at the same time, she was saying to Virch, you should play some with Newberry. Yeah, good. And so Compton was on a, a an Australia run for a couple of months, and I needed to fit, do some fill-in work. And so I, I got up in touch with April and said, would you like to 
would you like to put together some music? And she had some time in her schedule. Mm -hmm. And again, we, we started playing, and from the get-go, our music just fit, and we, but we didn't realize how much fun it was going to be to sing together. My girl shines brighter than the moon Or the stars or sun The harvest here will be done soon It's six months I've been gone I'm going back to Jericho I'm going back to Jericho See that girl I love so Jericho And so I, I do, I tell people, I'm in my two favorite duos. Yeah. I'm in my two favorite yeah, duos. Yeah, they're both fantastic. I was... And we were at a camp a few years ago, and uh, April and Mike and I did a, a little show together. A trio. Holy cow, was oh, wow. it fun. Oh, yeah. Are, are we going to hear recordings of this anytime? Uh, there's some stuff online of, of us all playing together. Oh, it's it's yeah, pretty I'll fun. To, I'll have to check that out it, for sure. It, it steps cool. up and goes pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then on the flip side, uh, what do you think it is about yourself that makes you a good collaborator for others that that they would look for? Oh, gosh. Uh, you're expecting me to say nice things about myself. But <laughs> I'm hoping. I've, been, I've been preaching all week to accept except the the nice thing. So here's yeah, yeah. I think that I have very open ears and and my job is to make the person I'm playing with sound better or play better. Yeah. And I do that well. Yeah. I, I I I I'm a good collaborator in that way. I, I and and I I play my instruments uh I I get out what I need to get out. I love to sing. I'm a good singer mm -hmm. and I love to sing harmony. So that's probably what they see. Yeah. I would tend to agree. Plus, I know where all the good places to get coffee are, and this is important. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Let's go back to the hats. Yes, and yes, and, and the aesthetic. Anyone who has encountered you knows that you have, you know, the Joe Newberry brand. <laughs> uh, the, your your aesthetic is part of that feature. Talk, I would, you know, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about what it means to have an aesthetic as a performer that you go for and what your look uh, how it plays into your professional performance. When one performs in public, mm -hmm. you have to make sure that people are uh, feel comfortable. Like somebody knows what they're doing. Some they know what to expect. I I started wearing uh, those Stetson hats on stage because I don't have any hair and I <laughs> and I don't have anything to soak. I mean I you know. I don't have anything to soak it up. Uh, the when when you are doing a show, I, you you get a little bit glowy, uh -huh. and so I started wearing wearing Stetsons. I, I will tell you that it becomes a little terrarium under there if you if you you know. So I keep the hat on, mm -hmm. but also people see the me in a vest and a white shirt and uh, a Stetson hat, and they they know it's me. Yeah, I, I was at a like a one of those roadside pull off uh, fat, uh, like in, in in the northeast you have service areas is what they call them I guess and yeah and, yeah. and I was there getting um, uh, some snacks and was going to play a festival um, a couple of hours north and I I was standing in line and a guy came up and he said are you Joe Newberry and I said you already had the oh, yeah, the yeah. duds on yeah. and I said I, I am how did you know and he he pointed from my head to my feet and he went. <laughs> I mean, so so it worked. Branding branding worked. Yeah, exactly. You know, Mike uh, Mike wears uh, his signature overalls, and he'll wear either yeah. you know a, a nice traveling Stetson hat, or sometimes he'll wear a ball cap. But he's always got the pressed overalls and a clean, beautifully starched iron shirt. Uh, yeah. It's funny uh, when April and I are playing. Mm -hmm. We have our, everybody's got your rituals when you play. And April will say, I think that I'm going to wear the polka dotted dress with some black tights. And I think I'm going to do my hair in two braids and then coil it on top of my head. And I'll say, I think I'm going to wear a, 
a pair of black trousers and a white shirt and a vest and a Stetson. And she'll say every time, that sounds great. Yeah. And that's our little ritual. Well, one, <laughs> one, one fewer decision that you need to make almost every day of your life. That's, that's cool. exactly you've, right. You've solved that. That's exactly right. So this is where, I don't, I don't know if we mentioned this part, but we actually have, this is rare for the podcast. We have an audience, the capacity crowd at the, at the cottage here at Great Lakes Music. So <laughs> this is everyone's chance. Did, does anybody have anything that you would like to ask Joe Newberry? This is your chance. And anyone? Or collaborate with a spouse, a girlfriend. Uh, uh, not uh, other than them serving as a muse. I don't, I don't usually, I don't, don't usually write. Let's talk about your, your banjo itself. Tell us what your instrument is and who made it and, you know, all, all the things that banjo nerds like to hear about bridges and heads and, you know, whatever you got to say about it. Okay. So I'm going to move by I'm going to move my glasses over to the side because I'm a banjo nerd yeah. for a bit. It. <laughs> um, I play uh, a banjo that was made for me by Kevin Enoch in 1997. It is uh, an 11-inch head. Uh, it's a black lacquer neck with a black pot with tortoiseshell binding around the, the pot and the neck. It has uh, a Renaissance head. When I started playing with Jim Watson, Bill Hicks, and Mike Craver, uh, the fellows who started the Red Clay Ramblers, um, I had been playing a fiber skin head for a long time. Mm -hmm. They liked, or, or they were used to, a tighter banjo head, a, a tighter sound. Tommy Thompson played a Remo plastic banjo head. Like a that, bluegrass head, basically. Oh, that you could bounce a quarter off. It was stretched so yeah. tight. Yeah. Um, and so that was more the that was more what they were used to, and and also I I like a little bit brighter sound, and the Renaissance head allows that. I use a compensated bridge because I finger pick, and I like being able to stay in a little bit better tune going up the neck. Yeah. Um, this banjo, I commissioned it in 1996. It took him about a year. He brought it to me to, uh, in August uh, of 1997 at Augusta. Uh, we were there in the parking lot at, at Augusta, and he brings me my new banjo. And one of the things about Kevin is uh, Kevin Enoch um, is that he does incredible inlay, beautiful huh. inlay work. And I I didn't want any. And he he would he'd like send me uh, phone messages and emails. Are you sure you don't want any inlay? Uh -huh. And and I no, I just want a, a plain banjo. Mm -hmm. And we get there, and he said I had to do something. I said what? 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 He said, I had to put my name in red on the dowel stick. Oh, and he, so he inlaid that? He, yeah. Oh, he, cool. he, he, it's, so it says Enoch, but it's in red. Yeah. Um, and so the first night I got it, we're, we're there and we're, um, we're playing outside. And, you know, I, I still drank beer at that time. We were having, having a couple of beers and playing outside. And, um, I, but I was trying to be good. Uh, you know, I had the case open there on the lawn and I'm trying to be good. And it's like, Y'all, I have to go to bed because I've got to teach tomorrow. And so I, I put the banjo in the case. I show up my, at my class about 20 minutes early because I had some students who said, oh, we want to see the new banjo. We want to see the mm -hmm. new banjo. So I, I got there. I opened up the banjo case. And my first thought was, wait a minute. I didn't think that Bob did inlay on this banjo because it was like the tree of life all the way up the banjo neck and then i looked and there were dead slugs in the banjo case the oh. varnish was still new enough that it killed them oh but God. they slimed my new banjo and i sounded like i must have sounded like a squirrel like <laughs> and so oh. i you know um at the break you know i cleaned it off with a paper towel as much as i could my friend bob smokula uh-huh brought a hand-lettered jar that said slug be gone. Yeah. It was a, just polish, and, I, and he, he took the strings off right quick. He, he cleaned it and gave it back to me, but um, I still have that slug be gone little jar. It was oh very, my very sweet. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's making me like squeamish oh, just was, hearing about it. That, yeah. that sounds disgusting. <laughs> it, was, it, it was not pretty, but uh, 
So you said it didn't. Uh, I'm, the neck you have has inlay. What am, what am I missing? Here? Well, uh, he does like beautiful griffins and and. Uh, okay, yeah, so this I mean, is like, this is like the understated it, version. Yeah, I've, yeah. I mean, I've okay. got some position dots. Okay, you know, and a, and a star because he anything he does, but nothing on the headstock. Right. You know, he does these beautiful custom pieces. Uh-huh. Was that? Now I'm not. I'm familiar with Kevin Enoch, but maybe I don't know his history. That seems like that must have been one of his. Very early ones was that mm, he he used to work at Goose Acres and oh. went out on his own probably in the late eighties early nineties. Okay, um, so, and I and I my my friends in the scene started showing up with his banjos and I thought, boy, they sound great and and they look great. He blends form and function as well as any banjo maker I know. But yeah, he's excellent. That said, we're in the age of great instrument makers. Mm-hmm. Um, my guitar is a it's a pre-war guitar company guitar and they've they recreate iconic Gibson and Martin instruments from yeah. the the pre-World War II. Sure. Um I play a, a 1949 J45 and the neck is it's perfect for me. Yeah. So they took measurements. I was on the road with a different guitar for a while they they took measurements and Gave you and, a and copy of your copy of my old guitar, and as far as you're concerned, they they did hit a great it job out of the park. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so I think one last question: What would you recommend people listen to if they want to dive into the the banjo stylings of Joe Newberry? What are you? Is there a particular recording that you are maybe most proud of, or is most demonstrative of of your style? They can they can hear Compton and Newberry live. Um, they can hear an, an album I did with uh, dating myself, a CD I did with April Virch mm-hmm. called Going Home. Yeah, they can find um, if they can. They can find sound clips of it uh, and and online. Big Medicine. I played with a band called Big Medicine. basically whatever we wanted and so we would play some early bluegrass we would play old time i would play i would play clawhammer banjo against bluegrass tunes cool um uh and folks can folks can visit me uh, uh i have a youtube channel um and, and uh and i've got a whole uh a whole playlist of of newberry banjo and and well to that end yeah. go ahead and go ahead and Plug yourself, give the websites and, you know, because I assume that'll have like tour dates and opportunities to, to purchase some of this stuff. So go ahead and uh, give the stuff. I'm at joenewberry.biz, joenewberry.biz. I will tell you that I'm the world's worst at plugging in gigs. Uh, uh-huh. So I'm, I'm behind on that. But they can always f- uh, follow me on Twitter at mm-hmm. Joe Newberry. And, and I've always got stuff going on there. And I'm, I'm on Facebook, not as much these days. Facebook's it's it's weird, a little problematic it's in little some ways. Pro- yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, but um, uh, I'm findable. Yeah, I'm findable. Great. Well, thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate you taking the time and and speaking with me. And um, it's been a blast at at camp here. I'm looking forward to the last uh, whatever we have left. Thank you so day and much. And a half or so. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, much appreciated. All right. Goodbye. Good luck. God bless you. Don't worry too much about nothing because everything ain't going to be all right. No how. We'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for listening, folks. We heard some sound clips in this episode, and in order, they were Fly Around My Pretty Little Miss by Mike Compton and Joe Newberry, Great Eagle from a live recording of Pete McMahon at the 1993 Missouri State Fair, 
Ships in the Clouds by Kathy Barton and Dave Para, Rebel Raid by Adam Hurt, Rocky Island by Mike Compton and Joe Newberry, Jericho by Joe Newberry and April Virch, and then finally Red Rocking Chair by Big Medicine. Thank you once again to the Patreon supporters of the show. That's Matthew Atkinson and Carol Rahack. Go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to support the show yourself and receive amazing rewards in return. Email me at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com and everyone take care. I will see you all next time.